Good morning, everybody. That was a great time of worship. I love that last song. It fits exactly with what I want to talk to you about. Now, you might be saying, what's this old guy going to help me with? <clears throat> Three reasons. One, believe it or not, once I was your age. Two, I've got three kids who are your age. And three, I love the same Jesus and want to serve him just like you. So I want to talk to you about Romans 12, 2. I've spent uh, 35 years in the investment management business trying to buy low and sell high, as they say. If you think that's what this lecture is about, we'll take care of that at another time. Hopefully this subject is far more important. Romans 12, 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We just sang a song, Lord, I want to be more like you. What does that look like? We're on one of two paths. We're either by active choice and empowered by the Holy Spirit being transformed in our minds to be more like Jesus as we just sang we want to be, or we're being passively conformed to what this world's all about. Which is it? Which is it going to be? It's not a black, and it's not a gray, it's a black or a white. Which direction are you headed? Now, as I indicated, it's got to be an active choice. If you don't do anything about this, the world will sweep you up and conform you. <clears throat> J.B. Phillips' translation puts it this way, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold, but let God remold your minds from within so that you may prove in practice that the plan of God for you is good, meets all his demands, and moves towards the goal of true maturity. I love that. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold. <clears throat> It is easy to be swept up with the good things of this world and miss the best things of God. Not everything about this world is bad, as some people say. And so it's a matter of choice, often between the good and the best. With this concept of mine, I want to put it in the framework of the subject of calling. I don't know how much time you spent figuring out what's God's calling on your life. I hope that's something that occupies you from time to time. If not, I'm going to encourage you to do that. A calling is something that matters to you, drives you, inspires you, gets you out of bed in the morning. <clears throat> Often it's a hybrid of who you are, how God made you, your set of experiences, interests, and abilities. Os Guinness has said, calling is the truth that God calls us to himself so decisively that everything we are, everything we do, everything we have is invested with a special devotion and dynamism lived out as a response to his summons and service. I just love that word dynamism. The Bible is clear and most scholars talk about primary and secondary calling. A quick review, I hope you've all settled your primary calling. That's universal to all Christians. The call to acknowledge him as Savior and serve him as Lord. The only one true God, the one that the God the Father sent to die on the cross. It doesn't mean to know about him, it means to know him personally as Savior, 
serving him as Lord. I, I'm going to assume you've done business with God in that sense because I want to talk to you about secondary calling. Not universal, but unique to each one of us. Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What are the good works that God has prepared for you to do today, tomorrow, and the rest of your life? Frederick Buchner put it this way, our secondary calling, the plan God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. It's a very unique thing, what the world needs and what God has gifted you to do. How does that come together? Our secondary calling, in case you're lost on this, is informed by our interests, our ambition, our abilities, our experiences, and our opportunities. They all come together. God works in our lives that way. How can you know what your secondary callings are? It's not just about what you're going to do from a vocational standpoint, although that is key. It's all of your life. Who your friends are, what organizations you belong to, who your brothers and sister in Christ are, how you're going to serve. I wrote down four things how you can know. One, the Word of God. Being in the Word of God can give you great hints about that. Two, prayers to and with God. Praying to Him, listening to Him. God, what would you have me do in this particular instance? And perhaps a career choice. Three, practical assessment. You know, I meet a lot of people, I'm waiting for God to speak to me. I'm waiting for him to write it in the air somewhere. <clears throat> God gives us brains, and we're to use them under his tutelage, if you will, to understand what our calling would be. And finally, the counsel of others. Others can help identify. Johnny, you know, you, you think you want to be a professional basketball player, but you're only five feet tall. Probably not going to work, et cetera, et cetera. As you contemplate calling, let me suggest in my few minutes with you seven steps, seven action steps, seven attitudes as you consider this calling in the context of is your life being transformed or are you being conformed? That's really the subject and can go lots of different directions. My first, plan your life plan as diligently as you plan your career path. Now, some of you not, may not be planning your career paths all that well, I don't know. Uh, but in this world, the way we're organized and uh, the motivation, it's often, you know, get, get, get the career thing right and the rest will take care of itself. No, get the life thing right and the career will take care of itself. I worked for a number of years at Merrill Lynch Investment Managers and every year we had to do our CFOs, critical few objectives, you know, two, three, four key things we were going to get done. I did that year after year and I finally said to myself, you know what, this is pretty good and we're getting some stuff done. What are my CFOs for life? Do you have CFOs for life, your critical few objectives? Who you're going to be, not just what you're going to be, but who you're going to be. God is more interested in who you are than what you are. More interested in how you are being than how you are doing, if I can put it that way. <clears throat> I've done a lot of stuff in my life, and doing stuff is good, but every once in a while I have to check myself and say, how am I being while I am doing? What are my attitudes? Plan for life. How are you going to be? 
conforming to this world, I see so many kind of just drifting. You know the saying, aim at nothing and you are sure to hit it. Do you have CFOs for your life that will help you, along with the guidance of the Holy Spirit, be transformed and not swept away and conformed? Number two, depend on God, not yourself. How are you living life? Do you rely on God when you're in chapel and get all excited about the song? Do you rely on God when the going gets tough? They're all good times to rely on God. But how when you're top of the mountain, when everything's going right, are you relying on God that you say, you know what, I, I got my act together. I'm, I'm pretty good at this, whatever this is. We're to seek hard after God in all times. Depend on God, not ourselves. This culture would say, fulfill yourself. A transformed life would say, deny yourself. They're hard words. Transformed life says, love the Lord thy God. Conformed life says, love the Lord thyself. Christians say, God does. Our culture encourages us to say, I do. What is it for you? Who are you depending on, yourself or God? Is God a part of your life or is God the center of your life? Transformed versus conformed. Randy Alcorn says, don't, let, don't allow earthly treasures to get you so involved that you can't see God. He says, storing up earthly treasures isn't simply wrong. It's just plain stupid. <laughs> Pretty blunt. That doesn't mean we can't have things. I'm not condemning that, nor is Randy Alcorn. But it's, what are we using those things for? He goes on to say, you can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. And that's just not about material things. It's about your time, your investment, your caring for others. What's that look like for you? I'm in a business where uh, I see lots of people with lots of money, and I'm continually amazed how when God prospers people, they constantly raise their standard of living. I wonder if God doesn't prosper us sometimes, not to raise our standard of living, but to raise our standard of giving. Hmm, contemplate that one. Number three. Give yourself and all you have away. And I just touched on it in some of the things I've just said. Many of you probably feel like, at least in material sense, you don't have much. You have plenty. First of all, I hope you have the Lord Jesus Christ. That's all you need. Over and over in the scripture, God talks about giving so-and-so a little to see how he or she does with a little. And if that servant does well with a little, then maybe much will come. If we're not doing well with a little, how are we going to do well with much? <clears throat> when I was in high school, I had a, actually junior high and high school, 7th through 12th grade, six years, a daily newspaper route. I served papers. I had two days off, 4th of July and Christmas Day. And I was taught as a young boy to, to tithe, and I did. And that was a great start for me. Now, I did it and checked the box. I did it out of obligation, not so much out of joy. The joy was learned later in life, but boy, getting started is a great thing. I have this much. I tell my kids, ah, Dad, I, I, I'm not going to be able to help anybody with my two cents. Oh, yes, you are, and you're also honoring God. 
Conformed life on these things says, I'm going to consume it now. Transformed life says, you know what? I'm going to see if I can help somebody else for the glory of God. <clears throat> David Platt in his book, Radical, says, can you imagine the day we go to heaven and we meet God and uh, he looks at us, God looks at us and says, why did, you, why did you not keep more for yourself? I don't think that's what God's going to ask us. And that's, again, not just about money. It's about all of life. Which takes me to number four. It's not about you. I got seven points, and I put this one right in the middle deliberately because I think it's the key to understanding us, our God, our society, and this conform versus transform thing. I'm convinced that it's not about me is so unknown in this society that it is the core of the desperateness of the human condition and where pride just comes in all over the place. I was in the airport a few years ago, and I'll never forget, I saw a gal running. She, I guess she was running to catch her plane, and the T-shirt she had on said, it's all about me. At least she was honest. Do you pray for others? Do you really pray for others when nobody's looking? In a me society, conformance just focuses on us. I'll do my best. And it's not bad to do your best, but, but who you're doing your best for. You know, it's even infiltrated um, the music of the church. So many of the contemporary worship songs, it's all about me. No, 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 it's about God. <clears throat> in our church, I um, direct the choir, as you heard in the introduction, and I'm very conscious to make sure most of what we sing is about who he is and what he has done, not so much about us. If it's all about us, all of a sudden we're making God into some image that fits who we are rather than recognizing and learning about what he really is. The danger of the conformed life. It's not about you. There's also this danger about the comfortable life. I meet a lot of people who, you know, in the workaday world, and um, all they're doing is living for the weekend and the vacation. I mean, whoa, what a waste of time. Work is a gift from God. It's an act of worship all by itself. So is studying your stuff. Man, I feel that way sometimes, but think about it that way. The high privilege God has given us to do those things. The danger of the comfortable life. We all aim for the easy chair at times. Nothing wrong with being in the easy chair. <clears throat> but uh, a university to study on an amoeba and put that amoeba in absolutely perfect condition. Kind of the amoeba's easy chair. Little, little comfort food over here, <clears throat> you know, the, 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 the uh, remote, lay back a little bit, lights a little on the low side. The amoeba had perfect light, perfect temperature, perfect amount of food. You know what that amoeba did? It died. <laughs> Be careful about the comfortable chair. God has made us to work. He's made us to live for him and serve others. Number five, it's not the circumstances that define us, but it's how we react in and to the circumstances. Boy, is that a lesson on conformance versus transformance. Or put another way, it's not the cards we've been dealt, it's how we play the cards we've been dealt. Whether you have a low hand or a high hand, how are you playing your cards? I think of Abraham Lincoln, I think of Mother Teresa, a whole lot of people. 
Those two in particular didn't have much, but boy, did they make much of their low cards. Wow. Living lives of dedication, seriousness, service, hard work, devotion to God in many ways. I've had a lot of high cards in life. I've been uh, privileged to manage billions and billions of dollars. I've traveled millions of miles. I've made millions of dollars. I've spoken to billionaires all over the place. I've been on national television many times. Yeah, that's all fun and exhilarating, and I wouldn't trade it for a whole lot of things, but what's far more important is what, what do my kids say about me? Even more importantly, where am I going to be when this heart stops beating? And how am I preparing for that? How am I investing my life? I hope the same for you. It's not about the circumstances, how we act. Three years ago, I lost my job for sharing my faith. And uh, I had a lot of choices. How was I going to react to that? Was I going to become bitter? This one hit me hard. It was 2012. So I tell my friends, I'd never want to repeat 2012. It hit me hard. But on the other hand, I wouldn't trade it for anything. Because in that year, I learned so much about acting as God would have me act in circumstances that I didn't expect. I had to learn lessons of identity, whose am I, rather than who am I in some corporate culture. Issues of control, I controlled my life, now God was stepping in, am I going to let him control my life? Relying on others in the body of Christ, some of you like me are probably type A's, you can do it all, you don't need anybody. <clears throat> Be careful of that, God will put something in your path to show you really do, we do need one another, this is a community. Not about the circumstances, but how we react to the circumstances. What does that look like for you? <clears throat> some of you, I'm sure, have had some valley experiences. If you haven't, I promise you, you will if you live life. And it is in the valleys that we learn most about who we are and who God is. I don't meet a lot of people at the mountaintops, so they learn all kinds of new insights. It's down in the valleys. Prepare for them. Relish in them. Number six. Develop a love for the things of the next world. And you might say, I knew he was an old guy. There he goes, talking about the next world. You are not a citizen of this place if you've named Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. You're just passing through. You're a sojourner. And if that doesn't change your perspective, I don't know what will. I meet a lot of people who struggle with what to do with their money. Christians. <clears throat> if we understand that we are passing through and everything we have, our very bodies, the brains we have, the money we have, the time we have is all a gift of God. Pretty soon it's pretty easy. It's not how much am I going to give, it's how much of God's money am I going to keep. Same thing with you. How much of the time that God's given you, what, what are you going to do with it? How much are you going to take and versus how much are you going to use for him? Develop a love for the things of the next world can give you a perspective you need if, in fact, your desire is to be transformed and not conformed. As you heard in the introduction, I spent some time on television, financial television. We all have our little corner of fame in, in a world. Mine, mine's a tiny little quarter called financial television. A lot of people watch it all the time. Most people never heard of it. During the difficulties in the Great Recession and the big stock market crash, CNBC came to me all the time, Bob, you're our go-to guy. 
The reason you're a go-to guy is you seem to have a calmness and a perspective that doesn't scare people. On occasion, I would tell them what that perspective was. But that enables me to say, you know, well, this, is, this world's going to go poof somebody anyway. If you haven't read Revelation, take a look at it. It's pretty clear. And so let's not get so hung up on what's happening today or tomorrow in that sense. Finally, number seven. If you're going to be transformed and not conformed, we need to focus, again, with the help of the Holy Spirit, living lives of worship. Now, that's actually not a very good line, live a life of worship. We are all living lives of worship. Question is, what are you worshiping? It's what gets you all excited. It's what gets you up in the morning. It's what causes you to jump up and down with joy. It causes what you to cry and have anguish over. What are you worshiping? Is it good grades? Is it a sport? Is it a boyfriend? Is it a girlfriend? Is it a job? Is it a career that you want to have? All those things good. But I came back to what I said earlier. This world offers lots of good things, but only God offers the best things. What does that look like for you? What gets you out of the bed in the morning? Is he your best friend, or you just talk about him that way when you sing a song? Transform life worships the true, perfect, worthy, all-loving, majestic God. The conform life tries it once in a while, but is tossed to and fro, right? We have some calligraphy in our home, and the one that's on the door right before I go out has the following hymn on it. And when I was thinking about you know, how am I going to begin to wrap up conformed versus transformed, I came across this hymn. Most of you, I suspect, if you've attended church at all, have sung this hymn. Let me read the words to you, and this you can receive as a prayer if, in fact, your goal is to be transformed. May the mind of Christ my Savior live in me from day to day by his love and power controlling all I do and say. That's transformed, is it not? May the word of God dwell richly in my heart from hour to hour so that all may see I triumph only through his power. May the peace of God my Father rule my life in everything that I may be calm to comfort the sick and the sorrowing. May the love of Jesus fill me as the waters fill the sea. Him exalting, self-abasing, this is victory. May I run the race before me, strong and brave to face the foe, looking only unto Jesus as I onward go. And finally, may his beauty rest upon me as I seek the lost to win. And may they forget the channel, seeing only him. I read that hymn, and there are a few others like it, that speak to a transformed life. I come back to it's not easy, and we all have our pulls in the conformed direction. <clears throat> but if we seek to have a foundation of who Jesus is, to worship him, to be in his word, to fellowship with others, and consciously, with the aid of the Holy Spirit, seek to be transformed, it's a wonderful, rich, fulfilling, and God-honoring life. Let me conclude with this. <clears throat> I hate to do it in a morbid way, but uh, this is life. We're all going to die. <clears throat> and many of us will have a tombstone. 
Uh, for me, it will say Bob Dahl, 1954- and I don't know what that other year is going to be. I hope it's out in time. We have no control over the first date. We have little, if any, control on the second date. But that hyphen in the middle, <laughs> it's all ours. Now, I'm 60, so I don't have a lot of years left. My hyphen is, you know, pretty defined by now. You guys are pretty young. You got a lot of hyphen in front of you, Lord willing. What are you doing with your hyphen? Is your hyphen bathed in the things that will transform you to be in God's image? Or is the world sweeping you away and conforming you? I leave you with that challenge. May God bless you. Amen. Let us stand to hear the benediction. Now may you go in the love of the Father, the peace of Christ, and the joy of the Holy Spirit to be the hyphen God has called you to be. And all the people said, Amen. Amen.